0: and two hemispheres, enfolding every race, nation, and language, then you're considering Catholicism.
1: Welcome to Considering Catholicism. To all of you regular listeners, hey,
0: but if this is your first time, my name is Greg, and this podcast is two years old this week. Whether you're a non-Catholic who's curious about the faith and the church or a Catholic who wants to learn more, this show's mission is to excite and educate you about historic Catholic Christianity and to equip you to live, share, and defend it in the 21st century. We've got a website, consideringcatholicism.com, and if you go there, all of the episodes have been categorized by topic. You'll find some videos there on various topics. You can listen to my story, learn who I am and why I do this and what the purpose of this whole thing is. And you can send me a comment or a question because I do my best, which isn't always good enough, to answer those either on the air or off. Now, before we get to today's topic, let me catch you up with some recent news about some of our regular guests. First, some of us have been praying for our guest Angie Griffith in Nashville, who was in RCIA. That's like the Catholic Church's new members class. Because yesterday, she was scheduled to have her confirmation or First Communion Mass. And yesterday, I got a text from her, so let me read it to you. This gal is officially Catholic! Exclamation point. First Communion has been had. Exclamation point. And then she has some emojis. So for all of you who have been praying for Angie, well, it worked. And I also know that some of you who are considering Catholicism are wondering yourselves about this process, the RCIA classes and all of that. So Angie and I are setting up a time to record another episode where she's going to describe all of the steps that she went through to enter the church and become Catholic and what that experience was like. So, listen for that episode in the next couple of weeks. Second, you haven't heard any episodes with Ed the Protestant or Corey for a month or so. With good excuse. Corey and his wife had another baby, a beautiful little girl named Helen, who is going to be baptized this weekend. So, he's been a little bit busy, but he and I are going to record three new episodes this week. We're going to be talking about the most common reservations or hesitations that people have that keep them from becoming Catholic. Those episodes will be released sometime over the next month or so. So if you're curious about and attracted to some aspects of Catholicism, but turned off by others, then maybe Corey and I can help you get over those hurdles. And you haven't heard from Ed the Protestant lately. Now, he's fine. And he didn't have any new babies or anything. But in fact, Ed and I have been hanging out over the holidays, having tacos and going to movies and getting together with our wives, but we just didn't make any time to record. But I'm meeting him later this afternoon to record a couple of episodes because Ed has a couple of questions. He says he wants to know the difference between Protestant pastors and Catholic priests. And he wants to know Why is it that Catholics don't seem to do or stress or talk about evangelism like evangelicals do? So, if you've ever wondered about those things, those episodes will be coming out over the next month or so. All right, that's enough housekeeping and gossip and previews of coming attractions, so let's get to today's topic. On the Catholic Church's liturgical calendar, today is the Feast... Actually, it's a solemnity feast of the baptism of the Lord that commemorates or celebrates his baptism in the Jordan River by John the Baptist. And so I thought we'd use this occasion to quickly take a look at three questions that I get all the time. Number one, why do Christians baptize new Christians? What does baptism signify or what effect does
1: it produce in someone? Number two, the who, what, when, where of baptism. So, why do
0: Catholics baptize infants while some Protestants baptize adult believers? And why do Catholics only sprinkle water on the person while some Protestants fully immerse them in water? And why do Catholics always do it in a church, whereas Protestants go out to the beach or whatever? Three. Why do we have a solemnity celebrating the baptism of Jesus? Because if baptism is supposed to wash away sin and Jesus was without sin, then why did Jesus need to be baptized? Those are all good questions. And I could probably do an episode about each of them. In fact, Ed the Protestant and I did an entire episode on Why does the Catholic Church baptize infants? That was episode number 139. You can find it in the archives on your podcast service like Spotify or Apple Podcasts or Amazon or iHeart or whatever you're using. Just scroll back to episode 139. Or you can head over to consideringcatholicism.com and look in the episode archives there, episode 139. But real quickly, Let me try to answer these three
1: questions for today. First, why do Christians baptize new Christians? Well, the simplest answer is because Jesus told us to. The last thing
0: that he said in the Gospels, really his final instructions to us before he ascended into heaven, is known in Protestant or evangelical circles as the Great Commission. Catholics don't really call it that. It's kind of funny. Since I entered the church a couple times, I refer when I'm teaching a class or something to the Great Commission and I get these blank stares. But every Protestant or evangelical knows that Matthew chapter 28 verses 18 through 20 is the Great Commission. So Jesus said to his apostles before ascending into heaven. This is after he rose from the dead and before he ascended. He said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I
1: have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. So, our mission, given by Jesus, is to make disciples
0: with two conditions. First, that we baptize them, and second, that we teach them to obey everything that he has commanded. Baptism is the essential rite, that's rite, R-I-T-E, as in a ceremony, not right like R-I-G-H-T, like your rights. It's the essential ceremonial rite that marks someone entering the church. And it begins the process of them learning everything that Jesus commanded so that they, hopefully, can become obedient to those commands. Therefore, all Christians baptized new Christians because, well, Jesus said to. He made it the threshold, the door into the church. But beyond that, though, what exactly happens in a baptism? Is it just a ceremony? No, it's not just a ceremony. It's a sacrament. The difference is that a ceremony is on the surface. It's something visible that you do. But a sacrament is a visible sign of an invisible, fundamental change that occurs inside of a person. So. All Christian churches and denominations recognize sacraments, although they don't all understand them in exactly the same way. But all Christians recognize that the sacraments begin with baptism. Catholicism understands the invisible change that takes place in the sacraments as an ontological transformation in the person. Now, ontological is a fancy word in philosophy that means the being or the essence of a thing, what what it is. And so the sacraments bring about a fundamental transformation of the being or essence of a person and their soul. That's why in Catholicism, marriage isn't just a contract, it's a sacrament. Because a married man or a married woman is a fundamentally ontologically different kind of person than an unmarried man or woman. The sacrament of confession isn't just a counseling session in which you unburden yourself. The sacrament itself occurs when the priest absolves you of your sin And you become reconciled with God because a soul that is reconciled with God is a fundamentally different soul than one that is in mortal sin and alienated from God. So baptism is a sacrament because it produces this fundamental shift in a person, body and soul. Before baptism, they were not a part of the mystical body of Christ, which is the church. But after baptism or in baptism, they become part of that body. That can never be undone. You may stop attending church. You may stop believing in God. You may renounce your baptism, but you can never unring that bell. God has put his mark on you. And it will mark your soul forever. Because of that mark, if you do neglect or wander away from or abandon the church, then you will be neglecting or wandering away from or abandoning the promises of Christ and the union with his mystical body, the church, that was sealed in your baptism. In the same way that because marriage is a sacrament in Catholicism, A man who abandons or divorces his wife and takes up with another woman is not a single man. He's an adulterer. You see, because the sacraments transform our identity in an ontological way. So let's move on to the second question for today, or it's really a sort of set of questions. Who, what, when, and where? In other words, who gets baptized, infants or believers? Why do some denominations fully immerse the person in water and some, like the Catholic Church, only sprinkle it on the forehead of the person being baptized? And where should someone get baptized? In a swimming pool or at the beach or in a church? Now, to answer those questions, let's start by going a little deeper on the internal ontological transformation that baptism signifies. Think of it this way. The most obvious interpretation of baptism is what? Washing, right? I mean, you in the water and the water, you know, washes away your sin, like washing away dirt off your skin.
1: Right? That's the most obvious way to look at it. But it's not right. Now, again, I could do a whole episode on just this one point, but to condense it?
0: According to scripture and the ancient teaching of the church, baptism isn't a ritual washing. It's a ritual
1: drowning. Baptism doesn't represent cleansing, but death and rebirth. Baptism isn't a bath. It's a burial. What do I mean by that? Let's back up. The Hebrews were a desert people. And for them,
0: waters or deep waters or the waters represented death. So think of the Old Testament prophet Jonah. He's in rebellion against God. So he's running away. Uh, He's in sin. He gets on the ship. Uh, God's anger is being poured on him. And he ends up being cast into the sea and descending into its depths to the bottom of the sea for three days, only to be spit out and emerge as God's servant. Now in the Gospels, Jesus said that the sign of Jonah was a foreshadowing of his, Jesus' own death and resurrection. And this generation will receive the sign of Jonah, just as Jonah went down into the depths of the sea for three days, so the Son of Man will go down into the grave for three days, only to rise again, reborn or resurrected. But actually, the Old Testament story that is most often linked to baptism in Scripture, in the Church Fathers, throughout history, is the story of the Israelites crossing through the Red Sea to escape the armies of Pharaoh. Think of it this way. They were in slavery and bondage, And as they come up to the Red Sea, they're facing certain death. But God took them down into the depths of the waters, only to use those waters to destroy Pharaoh and his army, thus, in a sense, destroying death for them, and then brings his people out again, out of the waters of the Red Sea, up to where they would receive the covenant, and be, in a sense, reborn as his people, his new nation of Israel. So. In baptism, we are not given a, a holy shower, but we're united with Christ in his death and burial. Just like the Israelites going down into the depths of the Red Sea to escape bondage and death, only to emerge in a sense remade as his people. And so we go down in baptism to unite with Christ in his death and burial, his three days in the grave, only to emerge united with him in the promise of his resurrection. Okay? That's why baptism is the threshold, it is the gateway sacrament into the church, which is itself the mystical body of Christ. So to be united with Christ, we are united with him at the beginning in his death and resurrection. See, in baptism, we are born again. We are transformed, not in the flesh, but in the spirit.
1: We enter into the community of faith that's formed by his resurrection. All right? Hope that made sense. Now, with that theological background, who should get baptized?
0: Infants who are too young to say they believe, or adults or teenagers or whatever who are old enough to make the choice. And have, and have a believer's baptism. Well, during the lives of the apostles. In the book of Acts. The children of believers were being baptized. So, in the book of Acts. Peter baptized the Roman centurion Cornelius. The first Gentile convert. And when Cornelius was baptized. His entire household was baptized with him. So, Cornelius came in. And he brought his household with him. Now. Of course, in the ancient church, if you were converted as an adult, as Cornelius was, then you were baptized as an adult. But from those ancient times, I think beginning with the generation after the apostles, all Christian churches baptized the children of believers. Of course, they baptized adult converts, but once people became Christians, their children were baptized. Okay? If they had children after they became converts, those children were baptized and so on and so forth. So. Withholding baptism from the child of a believer until that child can grow up and make the choice for themselves, that was never a thing until the Reformation 1500 years later. And even then, it was only a thing for some Protestants, right? I mean, Lutherans practiced and still practice infant baptism. The Reformed churches, all the Calvinist churches, infant baptism. Church of England, right? The Anglicans, infant baptism. So, as much as some Protestant evangelicals want to act as if withholding baptism from Christian children was or is the default for biblical Christianity, it just isn't historically true. 80% of the churches in the world today, and all of the churches before 1500, all around the world, all baptized the children of believers. Why? Well, as we just saw, baptism isn't about washing away your sins. It's about being united into the body of Christ that is the church and inheriting the promises of Christ's death and resurrection. And that covenant promise of being part of the people of God is for believers and their children because our children are born into the church and are
1: marked with the promises of Christ. Consider this. In the old covenant of the Old Testament, the
0: relationship for salvation that God had before the death of and resurrection of Christ. Circumcision was the ritual mark of being born into the community of God's people. So, the Israelites were instructed to circumcise their male children. And through them, future generations that would be born or to put it sort of I'll try to put it delicately, future generations that would be generated through their circumcised body parts showed that the promises of God were for them and for their children and for their children's children. I mean, that was the promise of God to Israel. Now, in the New Testament, we have a new covenant that is made in Christ Jesus a covenant formed by his death and resurrection. And baptism has replaced circumcision as the mark of the new covenant, the mark that is given to God's people, that the promises of God are for them and future generations. So when we think of infant baptism, think of it as the new circumcision. And Paul says in uh, the New Testament pretty clearly that circumcision, the mark of the old covenant, is no longer a requirement for Christians. That's been replaced by baptism, and it's given to children, again, to mark the generational promise of God. Now, we've been talking about the transformation, the ontological transformation, the mark of the covenant that baptism gives, and what effect it makes, how it changes us. What the Catholic Church teaches is that baptism removes the inheritance of original sin. That's the sin of Adam and Eve. And we are all born with that original sin. We inherit it. It is part of the legacy of being human. But in baptism, that guilt is lifted and we are initiated into the community of the church. Now, that doesn't mean that we aren't going to Uh, acquire personal sin right just because we or our children are baptized doesn't mean that we or they aren't going to fall away from god that we aren't going to sin that we aren't going to rebel against the lord right those are sins that we need to account for Baptism is not intended to wash away all of our personal sins because right, we're going to continue to personally sin. That's why we have the sacrament of confession and reconciliation. But baptism is that one time thing that happens in our lives that in a sense frees us of the guilt of original sin. A baptized child is received into the church and baptismal promises are made by the parents and the church, the congregation, the parish to raise that child within the community of grace. That's why when someone is baptized, whether infants or adults, they're dressed in white because those garments represent, I mean, it's the white garments of baptism simultaneously represent their burial clothes and their resurrection clothes, okay? Here's a super interesting side note. Do you know why brides wear white at their wedding? Well, I mean, now it's just become culture and fashion and all that. But in the church, why uh, bridal gowns were white, it's the same reason that they wear white at their first communion and at their confirmation, because all of those garments recall the promises of their baptism. So as they progress through the sacraments during their lives from baptism to confirmation to wedding as they move through those sacraments the baptismal promises are being kept and realized and that white wedding gown recalls just as the confirmation dress doll does recalls the baptismal promises that they inherited
1: that are now being fulfilled through the other sacraments just interesting side note so here's another one why doesn't the catholic
0: church fully immerse person being baptized in the water because if baptism represents drowning burial and resurrection then why does the priest only sprinkle or pour or touch a small amount of water to the forehead wouldn't full immersion in the water better represent the meaning of the sacrament of going down into the waters being buried with christ and rising up well yes in many ways it would be a better symbol a better physical symbol to represent what's going on. In fact, that's why the ancient Eastern Orthodox churches do fully immerse even infants in baptism. In fact, in baptism, even for infants, they do it three times. So the priest dunks the kid once in the name of the father, kind of pulls him up, dunks him again in the name of the son, kind of pulls him up, and dunks him again in the name of the Holy Spirit. And and by the way, that's not just to represent the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, but it also represents the three days that Jesus spent in the tomb. One, two, three, right? So you see how this is coming together in the sacrament? It's representing the promises of God. It's representing a union with Christ in his three days in the tomb, his resurrection. It's representing removing the stain of original sin, right? It's representing the persons of the Trinity. It all kind of comes together. In this really powerful way. But then someone would ask. Why doesn't the Roman Catholic Church in the West. Do the same thing and fully immerse. Well. Uh, it, it did in the first centuries. And it stopped doing it. But not really for doctrinal reasons. It, it was more a liturgical. Practice. That I'm kind of developed for. Kind of practical reasons. A sort of practical evolution that. Kind of just became a, a a cultural norm. So I've heard it explained a lot of different ways, um, right? In the ancient Mediterranean, you know, it's warm a lot, but in Western Europe, parts of Western Europe it can get really, really cold. So, uh, and churches in the Middle Ages or whatever didn't have central heat. So if you're in northern France in February in a stone cathedral with a stone font full of water, that's about 35 degrees, because there's no heat in the cathedral, sort of giving infants a cold plunge wasn't really practical, right? And also, as church architecture in the West developed, baptismal fonts and churches evolved architecturally and artistically to just to be more shallow. So you couldn't fit a, a person in there all the way. And, you know, in places water wasn't always clean, much less warm. And I've heard it pointed out that during the Black Death, uh, or different plagues that came along, it was urgent to baptize children as soon as possible before they died. So by the high Middle Ages in the 1300s, the Western Roman Church had more or less kind of come to the conclusion that what was important in baptism, the essential thing, was the touching of the water to the forehead three times. So the water was there, touching the head three times, and the name of the Trinity, and that that Physically represented the meaning of the sacrament enough, sacrament enough to be effective. And so in the 1300s, I think it was the Council of Ravenna declared that that was sufficient. And it just developed into liturgical practice in the Roman Catholic Church in the West. So there's not really a doctrinal reason why the Roman Catholic Church doesn't fully immerse, but that's our sort of liturgical practice. Okay? And that brings me to the last of these uh, who, what, when, and where questions um the where so why do roman catholics baptize inside the church when evangelicals get to do it in cool outdoor locations like swimming pools and lakes and beaches and whatnot well if you've been listening i hope the answer is kind of obvious right because baptism is the sacrament marking the entry into the church it's not a private event to do in your backyard swimming pool or an extracurricular event to do at the lake or the beach in baptism the church welcomes and initiates new members and so the sacrament is performed by a priest of the church within a liturgy within the church okay now are there extraordinary circumstances in which someone could be baptized in an unconventional place not as a part of a liturgy and not by a priest and the church would still recognize that as a valid baptism well, yes, there are those unique situations, and I personally was one of them. So if you listen to my story, which is in the archive, it's episode 169. I was baptized by some 19 year old guys in a college swimming pool with no pastor, or priest, or church. And decades later, when I entered the Catholic Church and I was going through RCIA, I explained the circumstances of my baptism, and it was recognized as valid. So there are those extraordinary circumstances, but the norm is to do it in a church. Okay, so the purpose of this episode was to take on three big questions, kind of three Roman numerals. Why do we baptize? Uh, the who what's wins and where's and why's and all that which we just kind of did that's roman numeral two and that brings me to roman numeral three the last sort
1: of mega question for this episode and that is this why was jesus baptized right i mean he had no sin so why did he need baptism now that's
0: a great question in fact, when Jesus showed up at the Jordan River and asked John the Baptist to do it, John was puzzled. It says in the Gospels that he said, in essence, how or why should I baptize you? It's you that should be baptizing me. Well, I hope that after all that we've talked about today, you might see where this is going. Because baptism isn't about washing away our sins, as we've seen. It's about uniting us with the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. So to say that because Jesus had no sin, he didn't need to be baptized, sort of misses the point of baptism. But it does raise a follow-up question, which is, well, why did Jesus need to be united with his own death, burial, and resurrection, which hadn't even happened yet?
1: Good question. Here's how I'll answer that. Jesus went first.
0: In his baptism in the Jordan River by John, he accomplished several things.
1: First of all, he modeled righteousness. He set an example. As our great high priest, he
0: demonstrated the humility and submission of God that he asks of us. You know, Jesus never asks anything of us that he wouldn't and didn't do himself. And in his baptism, he demonstrates, he models the kind of righteousness and the humble submission to God that he asks us to do and and shows us the way. Second, in his baptism, he foreshadowed what was to come. He pointed out the path to salvation. He said, the path to salvation will lie through my death, burial, and rising, and I'm You may not completely understand what's happening here at the Jordan River, but someday you'll look back on it and see that as I came down and accepted this, as I went down into the water and came up again and received the favor of God, someday you will do the same because that's the path to salvation.
1: So if we follow that path that he marked out, that he trailblazed for us, then we'll be following him. And I think for a third thing, He sanctified that path that he
0: pointed out. So, by going first, by being baptized first in the way that he wants us to do, he made our own baptism holy. The incarnate Son of God, the Christ, second person of the Trinity, the Lord of all, was baptized in the waters. And he asks us to do the same thing, but because In a sense, he went in first. He made those waters holy. He made the sacrament of baptism holy by being the first one to go through it. I mean, ultimately, it is always God who acts, who initiates the transformation in all the sacraments. We step forward, but he makes it real. And in Jesus' own baptism, he made it a holy sacrament for all time for all of us
1: who would subsequently go through it. so baptism is a major
0: topic in christian theology it's a major topic in catholic doctrine and it's one that christian denominations argue about and can't get on the same page about for a lot of different reasons and there was so much more that i could have said and clarified about everything in this episode i as i i'm sitting here i just feel like i I skimmed the surface on the topic of baptism, the doctrines of baptism, and I hope I didn't just create more questions than I answered. I I hope that I gave you today enough so that you understand baptism a little better but you'll want to continue to study, to learn, and to grow in your understanding. And there are a lot of great resources for that, a lot of great people you can tap, including talking to your own pastor, your own priest, if, you, if you're in a parish or, or seeking out someone. Or, or if you have a follow-up question, you can write me an email at catholicism at gmail.com, and maybe I'll do a follow-up episode or two and, and explore baptism a little bit more okay but that's all we've got time for today before we go though can i ask you to do three things for me first subscribe to the podcast on whatever podcast service you're using it's interesting in the last number of months by and far spotify is pulling into the lead as the uh, podcast service that most of our downloads are coming on i think Like 50% of our downloads now are coming on Spotify and like, I don't know, 30% on Apple and then, you know, a bunch of others. So anyway, wherever you are, Spotify, Apple, iHeartRadio, whatever, Amazon, whatever you're doing, will you hit the subscribe button? Because the more subscribers we have, the more we rise in the search algorithms so that when people go to any of those services and they type in Catholicism or whatever, we're going to pop up and they're going to see the podcast. The second thing you can do for me is rate the podcast. Okay? All of those services have some kind of a rating and review. You can click five stars, four stars, three stars. I hope it's five stars, but whatever. Click the number of stars because, again, the higher our ratings are, the more likely that we are to be seen. You know, they're going to show on the front page, higher rated shows and so we just really as a ministry want to become more visible reach more people so subscribe and rate and review if the podcast service lets you review you can also go to our website and leave a review those are all important too for search and then the final thing is would you consider supporting the podcast so many of you have it means so much to me every day we get a new supporter your donations to help this podcast I, I, this ministry is really making a difference in people's lives. I, I got an email just about an hour ago from somebody who really described that it's made a very, very profound difference in her life and the life of her family. And, you know, that's so meaningful. That's why I do it, that's why this is here. But it's also becoming very consuming. It, you know, It's not just the recording part. It's, there's a lot of work behind the scenes to produce this. So uh, if you, you know, prayerfully consider supporting it, there's a link in the show notes. There's links on the website to uh, you know, support the podcast with your donations. And the, for those of you that have, thank you so much. It is really making a big difference. Thank you, God bless. And hopefully you learned a little bit more about baptism today.